listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 103 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Welcome to another episode of the movie podcast we can only help you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Steve Hobicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our guest is a chef, bartender, server by trade, and a classically trained Shakespearean actor by night, which is probably why he's been flipping burgers and slinging gin is in a dire adult life. A lifelong aficionado of SF fantasy and horror, he began collecting comic books before he could actually read them. I'll be curious to hear more about that. Most recently, he was a creative consultant for the Eisner Award-nominated Big Black Stand at Attica, a very good graphic novel that if you have not read, you definitely should go out and dig up. A graphic memoir of Frank Big Black Smith, and he is the host of a pop culture podcast called The Literate Nerds, which will be returning with new episodes in July. Patrick Kennedy, welcome to Cinemental. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's This is awesome, and uh, it's very nice to meet Latham and meet Hassan as well, and... Uh... Ver- yeah, Ver- the show. I I I, lo- I love listening to the show. It's uh, it, it's excellent. Oh. Well, well, thank you. you. Know, I, and, uh, we we, I, def- we definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I can I can listen to a little more of that. Actually, <laughs> we can <laughs> yeah. just go. You you can go on if you like. Yeah, if we can, we can do a, we can do a deep dive at how great we no, are. No, no, a- absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, let's open up the show with how awesome we are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, let's go ahead and get into, uh, suffering from consumption. Uh, uh, Patrick, uh, so what we do is just talk about anything we've watched, uh, generally in the last week or so. Uh, well, I, uh, I've been watching 30 coins, uh, which is created by Alex D'Iglesia who did uh, Perdita Durango, uh, and Santa Sangre. It's on, uh, HBO max. It's a Spanish language show about, uh, uh a priest uh, named Father Vergara, who, uh, after doing some time in prison, has been um, exiled to northern Spain to this little kind of um, farm town in northern Spain. And, well, he's got a cache of weapons underneath the altar and fights monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's, there's a whole tele, telenovela style subplot with the. <laughs> there's your elevator pits right there and a cache of weapons underneath the altar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, like, you know, like any priest, you know, worth their salt has. Uh, and, and so you got, you got to the telenovela subplot with the mayor and his wife um, who can't have children. And they own uh, the local um, hotel, which is kind of, you know, like a tourist attraction. They're trying to bring, you know, revitalize the town. And uh, and his ex-girlfriend is uh, um, a veterinarian. So there's this, you know, all this tension between the two of them. And uh, it, it just, uh, I don't want to go into any more than that. The show is fantastic. Great, mo- <laughs> great monster effects. Um, really, really good acting. Um, it's all, it's available on HBO max. How many episodes are out already? 
Jeez, oh, I mean, the whole first season is out. I think it's. Oh, okay. I think it's ten episodes. Cool. All right. I, I think. Um. Uh. It, yeah. It's. You know what? I. I had just. I had just looked it up. So uh, why don't I just? Yeah, but we can't do dead air. I can tell so you right we'll, now. We'll have to start humming while you're. Don't do dead air, man. Eight episodes. Yeah, it's got eight episodes. Um. And and it's and it's great. And I was telling Steve that there's a film. Uh, by the uh, creator of the show, um, uh, Alex D'Iglesia, called Perdita Durango with Rosie Perez and Javier Bardem, which is fantastic. Uh, and it's available on Shutter if you've never seen it, so you can uh, catch up with that. Um, Watch the first episode of Loki. Haven't revisited yet. Uh, the the uh, season two, uh, episode two and three. But I really liked episode one. And stuff i've been reading oh um my pal joe corallo uh his new book uh beckstar uh b-e-c-s-t-a-r it's a science fiction adventure comic book i can't remember joe's collaborator's name i'll find it yes uh, i uh, once again i have stuff bookmarked and not open on my phone it's from Mm -hmm. mad cave studios but it's a uh a really cool uh uh sci-fi adventure book um you know hits a lot of uh classic intergalactic uh, swashbuckling space opera type tropes. Uh, it's a fun book. And Joe's a really amazing editor uh, and writer. He's, uh, if you're not familiar with his stuff, he's he's been doing some really, really great stuff in the comic book industry. Okay, cool. um, yeah, and that, and that book is, uh, uh, it's available uh, online. And I, I actually, uh, the deal I got on it is you pay 20 bucks and the hardcover uh, trade gets mailed to you once all uh five issues of it oh, are nice. published yeah and then and get, i got the digital you know so uh yeah it's a, it's a, that's a great it's a great deal uh and other than that uh, uh oh victor victor laval's uh uh ballad of black tom i had it for over a year and it's been sitting on my shelf and i uh, cracked it open and chewed through three quarters of it in about two days uh, and that's a, a really awesome uh, tale of Lovecraftian horror from the point of view of a um, 1920s Harlem uh, street hustler who isn't a really great blues man, but he kind of like knows how to play the rich white folks uh, out in the suburbs. <laughs> um, and he ends up getting uh, mixed up in some, you know, crazy white folks doing Lovecraft shit. <laughs> you know, Clarity um, ensues. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy, does it. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's excellent. If you're not familiar with, with uh, uh, Victor, he's, uh, you know, a person of color who's one of the people that's really taking back a lot of um, the uh, Lovecraftian horror stuff. Okay, doing real, doing really cool retelling, re- retelling of that stuff, and and um, addressing the 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 bigotry displayed in Lovecraft's works as opposed to you know, glossing them over or, or, or not acknowledging them. It's a really fantastic novel. Most of my, uh, most of the stuff that I've, no, 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 this, the, 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 I, again, this is, this is, a, this is another situation where I have just been inundated with, uh, I'm now, I'm now in the middle of hands-on uh, six different book projects. Some that are wrapping up, some that are ramping up uh, one that we're trying to get off the ground. So it's, I'm, I'm <laughs> hammered every week with stuff that I need to be paying attention to. So I, I can't afford to, uh, to have a lot of movies running in the background and, and the weekends have been nice. So I've been sitting out on my front porch or doing yard work and, and spending my time outside. 
I did manage to get in a viewing of the second Oliver Stone film after I finished his autobiography last week. Uh, and I watched The Hand, <laughs> <laughs> which was, um, again, uh, <laughs> I didn't expect that better, better than I expected it to be. But uh, yeah, I, you know, arbitrarily, not not a great movie. But um, I thought it was funny because in it, especially with a lot of the commentary that's in his book about how critics approached the movie. It's funny to, to watch it now, knowing how everyone kind of looked at it in two different directions. <laughs> but when you watch it, it's, 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 if it's fun to see both directions, cause you can see, you can get why people took it two different ways, but it's, I mean, honestly, you know, he's talking a bunch of shit. It's just a fucking horror movie about a guy who loses his hand and his, you know, the hand goes and kills people. So I mean, yeah, he's a comic book artist, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and they are, and the and the uh, all the comic artwork was done by Barry Windsor Smith in the movie. Oh wow, I didn't even realize that. Now yeah. I have to go back and rewatch it. Yeah. I haven't seen it since it was on HBO <laughs> when I was a kid. Oh geez, you know when I it guess. first came out. Well, it was in 1980. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. 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 I never got past then, that uh, first uh, five minutes. <laughs> He loses the Michael hand. Kyle. Like, oh, that's a. I'll tell you, for the time period, it's a great. It's a. I mean, I don't know why anyone would stick their arm out to try and push another vehicle away from their vehicle, thinking they're going to be like, "Hey, get some separation, buddy. Move your truck over." But yeah, with the way it shears his hand off, and the hand just goes flying. I'm like, it's a really well done effect for like a live action practical effect. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's fucking Michael Caine, man. I mean, come on. And uh, and then I watched a documentary called Wrinkles the Clown, which I had been dying to see based on a trailer I saw about a year and a half ago. And so there is a very well-known YouTube video of this character called Wrinkles the Clown. And basically it's a black and white. It looks like a security cam video of a little, a child's bedroom. And basically it's like the kids asleep on this, on this trundle bed. And it's got one of those pullout drawers underneath it. Right. Well, as you're watching this piece of security and the video is like 59 seconds long. Okay? It's like a less than a minute. And it's like, all of a sudden the drawer starts to open and slowly slides itself out. And this clown gets up out of from the drawer from underneath the bed and stands over the kid and eventually puts down like this little toy next to her. And then the video just cuts off. And so this, you know, of course, this went fucking crazy on the Internet. You know, people lost their fucking minds. So they they spent it's it's the documentary is really, really interesting, far, far deeper than I thought it would be because I thought it was going to be about this guy. And so this whole, this whole mythology is built around this guy who, whose number is out there and you can call his cell phone number. And like, he picks up occasionally, but he gets like, I mean, he gets like, they get like a thousand voicemails a day at this number and are a thousand calls a day, hundreds of thousands of text messages over the years. Um, you know, people threatening him, kids wanting to see if he's real, parents on the phone telling them they're going to call he they're talking to wrinkles the clown and the kids in the background screaming like because you know and this whole thing is like that the parents are using this as a deterrent you know saying well you know all right if you're bad i'm going to call wrinkles the clown you know and he's going to come get you so um it 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 dives into every aspect you can think of about this idea and then about two-thirds of the way through it 
completely flips it on its head. Uh, uh, flips the whole thing on its head. It's fucking amazing. Does I, the I, end of the documentary include them saying that the clown does not exist and this is all bullshit? No. Well, I'm not watching it then. Okay. It's. I'm not watching it because it's about. Yes, a clown. I understand. You're not going to watch it. It's about a clown. But Latham, I actually think that you, of all of the people here, would find it the most interesting because, and I think the, the what I'm not telling you is something I don't want to give away. That's good. So I, I would I would recommend watching because I there's because the part where it flips it on its head, I think you'd appreciate. Is it similar to that hotel documentary where they play it as if the girl sounds like it um, with all the internet sleuths where they're trying to find the girl and then they yeah, flip the it like that. Cause I oh. really like that documentary a lot. No, no, it's, it's more from the standpoint of everything you think about everything you've just seen for the first 45 minutes of the documentary is suddenly turned and you see a whole different side of it. Okay. Well, going in, I know the clown doesn't exist, and there is no supernatural. So, well, nobody that's said, not no, going to make it. If that's not going to make it interesting, then I don't, I don't know why I'm going to enjoy it. But I'll take your advice and watch it. Uh, speaking of weird urban legend stuff, uh, I recently got on TikTok, um, and uh, inside joke for anybody that's on TikTok, yes, my feed does look like a hot topic store. <laughs> um so but uh I, I i i went down this <laughs> this rabbit hole of um skinwalker tiktok and okay. um uh wendigo and uh or flesh pedestrian as they call them because <laughs> evidently you're you're not supposed to use the term skinwalker and uh um you know and, and i understand there's also actually navajo people who are very protective of the mythology of it right and re- and really don't like white you know folk um uh you know that's pretty much the end of the sentence. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, but you got to check it out because there's this one kid. I think his name is Aiden Mattis. Um, and he's very intelligent and obviously has done a lot of, uh, you know, studying and, you know, uh, um, anthropology and so on and so forth. But he is batshit crazy because he believes that <laughs> um, a flesh pedestrians or flesh gates, as they're called... Um, as opposed to skinwalkers actually exist. And uh, uh, you can also look up disappearing 411 phenomenon <laughs> that they're connected to it. But it's some just wonderfully wild, um, uh, speculative, um, supernatural conspiracy uh, stuff or supernatural cryptid uh, theory. It, it, okay. <laughs> a, lot of, a, a lot of fun. Fair enough. Uh, <clears throat> I watched another documentary after that called Body Snatchers of New York, which is about uh, a case involving a bunch of uh, this is one I didn't know about. This happened before I moved to uh, before I moved or actually it wasn't before I moved here. It was actually while I moved here. But it's just I never I never heard anything about this, about this case where these guys were running a a a, a body parts uh, repository, but they were doing it by ste- again, stealing bodies and replacing parts with plastic tubes and shit and and you know basically just you know and and one of the one of the one of the people whose body got fucking farmed uh, illegally was alistair cook the guy who used to host masterpiece theater i thought you were talking about this because evidently uh yeah some of his uh teeth i think were used in uh 
yeah, some of his teeth were used in oral some surgery. Some kind of crazy shit going and, on. And but... evidently a whole bunch of people got hepatitis because they were using yes. bones from cadavers that had hepatitis right. for transplants. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remembered they, about they, that. They that figured, was really awful. They figured a way to, to game the the testing process because they had a thing where the lab buying all the material from the people who would actually harvest everything they had to get a sample of the cadaver's blood to test to make sure the body was clean and then they would be like all right go ahead and do it well what these guys did is they stockpiled clean blood so every time they'd get a new body they'd send these guys a sample of the good blood they'd get the okay harvest the body and then they just deliver all this shit out of a body regardless of what the problem the body had so but yeah, so that was that was uh, gruesome to say the least. Yeah. And then I and then I finally watched a documentary called Boiled Angel, which was the Hanelotter film about uh, uh, about Mike Mike Diana. Diana. Yeah, which I had never seen. So I would, that was uh, that was really interesting. Is that the guy who got blaspheming me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, obscenity. Yeah. Obscenity. Yeah. The only actually right. did time in jail for uh, the for... only American artist found guilty of obscenity and, and jailed yeah. for it. The only one who ever will be. One would hope. Uh, well, we, we, we hope. We hope. Yeah, um, yeah wow. I, I, I know Mike not well, but uh, I used to uh, uh, have some friends. Friends of mine were very, very close with him uh, back in the 90s. Um, he's here in and, the area. Yeah, yeah. He's a New York guy. Uh, and, you know, now. hey, man, he, he took he took a bullet. You know, he really yeah. he was down. Was that down in Florida? They locked yes. him up yes. in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. But he really I mean, he took a First Amendment bullet. There's absolutely no doubt about it, man. He he broke his parole. And the, as soon as he was as soon as he was able to get free on probation, uh, he packed up everything he owned and he moved to New York like literally the next day and called his lawyer from New York and said, hey, I'm in New York. I'm not fucking coming back. And And basically. His uh, his Florida probation officer tried to violate him and, uh, you know, got a hold of like the New York Police Department. And we're like, hey, we want, uh, you know, you guys you know interested in, in going to get this guy for us. And they're like, what are you fucking kidding me? We've got real crime to fucking deal with here. I'm not going to yeah. fucking go chase down a guy who drew pictures. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so so it basically but he was never he was basically as I you know, you know, he had all these outstanding fines and stuff. And he could never return to, he basically had a standing uh, arrest warrant in the state of Florida. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it turns out that the producers of the film, when they made that movie um, paid all of his back fines and everything. So he is now a hundred percent. He's a hundred percent clear. That's Good. awesome. So, That's cause it, I mean, cause yeah. both his parents still lived in Florida. So like he couldn't go yeah. down there and see them or anything. He couldn't, you know, none of that. So then, uh, so that was the extent of my movie watching. Um, we continued watching. I'm continuing with NCIS. I'm about halfway through season six. Um, uh, we finished uh, American Horror Story season three, Coven, and we're two episodes from the end of Freak Show, which uh, has been has been really interesting. Um, I, after when I saw the first episode of Freak Show, I was really curious as to how they were gonna how they were gonna take that season compared to what they'd done in previous seasons. And uh, I've been I've been mostly pretty surprised. I think the biggest problem I have or I think that they have with this season is there are so many characters and so many storylines going on that I feel like episode to episode, there are big chunks of time where you just don't see a character. And it's like it's you almost like not that you forget about that they're around. But I think that. You know, they, they take time to focus on different aspects of the main story 
but it just seems like they it's almost like they almost like forgot about characters like for whole episodes at a time just so that two episodes from now they can spend more time with them or you know now it's getting to the end they're starting to kind of bring everything back around or bring characters back together and stuff but it just seemed in the middle if 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 i was watching this and waiting a week between every one of these episodes i would have been like well where was this guy this week you know it's like they literally would not even touch on a character for a whole week so that was just that was my 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 only really i don't want to call it complaint but um and then I watched uh, this thing that showed up on Disney Plus, which I I didn't really they didn't, I and I didn't know it came out. I just stumbled across it accidentally. Um, this Star Wars biomes. Did you watch this, Hassan? It's basically a eighteen minute. It's a, yes, it's an I've eighteen it. minute, essentially like a travel log of digitally created uh, planets, uh, like flyovers of the different planets uh, in the Star yeah. Wars universe with like little bits of like animation thrown in of like uh, ships flying. And, and, you know, like there's a, there's like, it's like 18 minutes long and like five to seven, the first like five minutes or so is Hoth. So as you're going along, you see like a thing come down and crash. And then one of the probe droids comes up out of it, you know, out of the crater from the crash. And it's a real slow, like you're just like cruising along really slow over like at altitude over the land it's really it's yeah. really interesting to watch i think the most boring one is the one from the mandalorian because nothing really happens other than the ship other than no. the ship landing <laughs> but the hoth one is really cool um you know uh the tatooine one is pretty cool there's some there's some really neat stuff but it's 18 minutes long and you know if they do more of them that'd be that'd be fun you know but uh i just think it's a cool thing because there's no there's no dialogue there's no there's no words there's no nothing it literally just starts and then just stops and it's you know 18 minutes of like yeah it's a little annoying too because they do a lot of uh they do a lot of stuff they they jump all over the the three genres yes. the yes. three the three eras yeah. and they do there's so many that you could do in the original mm-hmm. series and in the prequels that they just bought you know then they they capitalize on their own their own franchise you know the disney franchise and most of those most of that scenery is the most uninteresting scenery in the entire series you know like there's an island yeah yeah they do that loot they do loops island at the end of it and you're just basically you're approaching the island for like 97 percent of the flyover (laughs) and you get to the island and then it's like fade out and you're like "Uh, okay i just i just got there so yeah a lot of it but i mean it's really once you realize what it is because you know you don't know what it is when you click on it once you realize (laughs) what it is and it's it's completely harmless and benign. It's it's really pleasant, yeah. but in the beginning, it's like, what the hell yeah, is you're this? You're waiting for Until something. You figure and it you're out. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, it's, it's is, a fun way to kill eighteen this, minutes. This is to placate my kids. I get it. I get, <laughs> this is I quiet, only, this is quiet time. <laughs> yeah, here, sit here. Something may. Happen. I only saw one one of them on there. Uh, it, it was the Alderaan one, but it uh, it cut off in the middle. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Not, not not even get not even getting a little chuckle for that one. Wow. Nope. Wow. And your your the problem is your setup is 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 way too transparent. Yeah, oh no, yeah. No, there it doesn't <laughs> we, matter. We can see you coming. It doesn't matter what the setup is. You guys are already assuming it's always going to be what it is every single time. So there's no chance for any setup. So I don't but you haven't proved this wrong yet. Right. I don't exactly. even try anymore. That just means you got. It just means you got to work harder. 
Oh, I'm not working harder. I'm not working harder for okay. all the rock. All right, fair enough. I'm not uh, working harder for Dead Planet. Uh, <laughs> I see now that's funny. Um, so I guess we have and we've suffered enough. Good. Good. Uh, now we're gonna have some fun. Oh boy. Oh now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I at least oh. I hope I hope we oh. <laughs> I, I hope that uh, everyone enjoyed the, so, the, the second choice of film. So, so uh, Patrick's, uh, I don't know if you call it a guilty pleasure. I guess he is calling it his guilty pleasure. We're oh, going to call it. We're, oh, oh, it's a guilty yeah. pleasure. We're going to call it guilty. Well, uh, I, I'll tell you, I got, a, I got a lot out of this. It's beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Recently, 20th Century Fox had two very heavy ideas. First, make a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Second, get Russ Meyer to write, produce, and direct it. You'll meet three girls, young, beautiful, talented, a tight trio that was the heart and soul of a rock group. Life was sweet, man, but not enough. The whole world was out there just waiting, and the beat inside pushed them to where it's happening. Hollywood, USA. The chicks were wild and groovy. The studs were cool and cruel. The eyes so warm, the smile so friendly, but watch the teeth. They bite deep. <laughs> One little girl turns her back on truth and love. She'll have to make it with pain and eyes that cry rivers. The second finds her heart in the arms of another chick. Don't look for evil in your brother's eye. The third bird finds her man. It's good, very good, but she almost blew it before she learned that simple truth. And what about you, man? What's your thing? You talk weird. What do all those words mean? Who are you? Don't look at me, man. You're not real. It's all here. Love, rape, murder, dope, grass, abortion, suicide. Something for everybody. Now hold it, man. Don't close your mind. This is what living is all about. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is not a sequel. There's never been anything like it before. If you've been waiting for something new, waiting for a film to shake you into the freaked out, mind-blowing scene of right now, then come and see it, man, and find out why it's called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls from 20th Century Fox. From 1970, directed by Russ Meyer, with a running time of 109 minutes, an all-girl group and their manager go to L.A. to make it big in the late 60s and fall in with an odd crowd, party captained by a very strange yet charming movie producer, music producer. We then join them on a strange journey as they rise and fall in their own ways due to the lifestyle and debauchery of the era leading up to a climactic event that rivals or exceeds anything that may have inspired it. Patrick. Nice. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, uh, this movie, I don't even know if you could call it a guilty pleasure for me. I, I enjoy it so much. And the thing about it is, is, I enjoy it so much that it makes me feel guilty about it because it's... <laughs> That's the textbook. <laughs> it's and, and one of the things that you didn't mention um, is that it has a script by noted film critic Roger Ebert. <laughs> we, we would get there. That's true. <laughs> Which... Uh, it's, you know, the movie is just, it's so fun. And I love that, you know, right at the beginning of it, they're like, this is not a sequel to Valley of the Dolls. Right. Because uh, Jacqueline Suzanne, Sued you know, them. who wrote the book, was just like, <laughs> I do not want my name in any way involved with this. Exactly. And, and you know, they did. They made it on a shoestring budget. It's kind of like, in a lot of ways, it, the way the film was made very similarly to Killing of a Chinese Book. I mean, um, Ebert. And, and Meyer just basically sat down and just kind of took all of these different kind of like uh, pastiche, you know, these tropes and just slapped them together in a pastiche of, of um, 
you know, the, the movies at the time, and, and there's, there's a quote from uh, Ebert about uh, the, uh, the, the, the film. Give me just one second. Um, I think I know what you're going to pull out. I, I found the same quote and I loved it. This, this, I think of it as an essay on our generic expectations. That one from 1980. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, that... So, so the quote is it's an anthology of stock situations characters, dialogue, cliches, and stereotypes set to music and manipulated to work as exposition and satire at the same time. It's cause and effect, a wind-up machine to generate emotions, pure movie without message. And and the hilarious you know, thing about that is actually there are a lot of messages in this movie, Roger, and all of yeah. them are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this film... It, for considering when it was made and when they wrote it and put this stuff together to have one of your main characters end up being a transgender character you have a lesbian love affair in 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 the, at the you know in the, in the third act of the film you know these things are way way ahead of its time in this for this movie oh yeah absolutely well i mean russ meyer i mean uh, yes um, well you know obviously like he was doing he was doing really, you know, transgressive, transgressive stuff. This is probably yeah. the tamest, um, you know, I mean, it's the closest thing to a, a, a straightforward studio film, you know, he probably ever did. Uh, and, and God bless him. Um, he knew how to care. He knew how to cast a movie. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, just, a, just, a re- just real quick, Latham, had you seen this before? No, but I, they, <laughs> If I'm remembering right, we were we it was shown in one of my film study classes and I was absent the week it was shown or wasn't there. Ah. And I read up on it because we had to do some kind of test or whatever. But um, I did not see it before this. OK, I know I know Hassan had seen it before because yes, uh, and, and I had never seen it before. Um, this... was a, it was a it was a Cinemax movie. That just one oh. night just came on one night, and I'm like, "What? Yeah, what's what happening? Fuck what's is it? <laughs> you know, I obviously, you know, if you're you're into movies, this is a movie you hear about. You know, you hear about people refer to this movie all the time. Um, Sublime. It, it always it always comes up in conversations, and it's always you know, I it's hard because you don't you don't get a really good bead on what what it is about the movie that either that people love or people hate about it. You just get this like just general sense about the movie. And I have to say after viewing it now twice, cause I watched it again today, it was nothing even remotely close to any of the expectations I had going in. It was, it was so far outside. It was so much, I'll say it. It was so much better than what I expected it to be. I, I, I absolutely en- enjoyed this movie. It's it's a one it's a wonderful bad film. It, it might be the greatest B movie ever made. I mean, uh, in my opinion, it, it's just it, it's it's fun to watch. It's the, the costume design is spectacular. All of these great old you know because basically they just got you know they got the run of the Fox um, back lot. Right. And basically whatever they you know whatever sets they could find they could they could use so they just used everything. Uh, and the, the funny thing was is that supposedly the cast, you know, they were a little confused because Meyer insisted that they play everything completely straight yeah. and they were afraid to ask him. So they went to, to Ebert and Roger was like, just do, you know, 
do what he said. Do what Ross is saying. Do and what he true. says in this hostage situation. Yeah, and, and, and oh, yeah, oh yeah, the great you know, I, the, the fact that that Roger Ebert wrote that line of dialogue, which I'm not going to say here because it's too good. Go watch the movie. It's it's absolutely amazing that this man had a successful career as a film critic while he was writing this yeah. screenplay. Yeah, he took like eight weeks off of his job to to go and write this film with Russ Meyer. Yeah, um, and. And to give Meyer credit, I mean, Meyer did everything. You know, he was, you know, he yeah. was, you know, his own editor, he's his own director of photography. Uh, you know, he's, you know, practically his own sound. Well, on some films, I'm sure he was his own sound guy. Um, I think on. Um, and to your point, from a technique standpoint, it's funny that through the first part of the movie, uh, of that first party they show up at. Uh, where they kind of introduce the way he was walking her around and introducing her to all the people in the room. And you're kind of getting your first kind of view of all the characters who are going to play out in the next, the next uh, hour and a half. Um, and there's all these quick cuts of all these different people with all these just like single lines saying something to someone else, either somebody who they're dancing with or somebody who they're at the party with or someone they're sitting next to. And there's all these cuts and that, that whole party sequence is just, it's so disconcerting to watch physically it was throwing me it was pulling me out of the movie initially and i was like man i really hope the whole movie's not like this because this is going to be really difficult to stay focused on with all of this like absolutely maniacal editing going on and i've never it, been to a party where the strawberry alarm clock was playing well yeah right exactly <laughs> yeah well that and i love the fact that because she clearly was trying to hide a british accent poorly and it would like yes. it would just like sneak out every once in a while, and yeah. you'd be like, "Wait, does she have an act?" Oh, okay, no, it's gone again. All right, and then you're like, you know, it's just a bunch of little funny stuff like that. And I, and I you know, I watch so many bad films uh, on a day to day basis generally because I watch a lot of horror films. Anybody listening to this podcast knows I watch a million horror films. Most of them are 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 bad. Okay, yeah, uh, you know, acceptably. Well, that's the thing you can make, you can make money off a of horror fl horror flick. You Absolutely, can slap together a cheap ass horror flick and do it in you know in three weeks. Uh, you know, hire you know a couple of you know fairly well known people. You know, and then you, you're going to make money on it. Right. You know, Netflix is going to pick it up or Amazon going to pick it up, and you're going to make money. Hire Eric Roberts for a day. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. This was, this was absolutely just a bonkers, just fun thing to watch. It's, it's, there's, I mean, you can, you can go through it and it, there's no sense going into this and looking for some great deep, uh, deep thoughts about it. I just had, I just had a blast watching it by the time I realized, you know, 15 minutes into it, that it was just going to be a total shit show. And I didn't have to try and stay focused too hard on anything. I was able just to relax and enjoy this, you know, kind of, we, we've talked about how, how since we started doing this podcast, it can be difficult to watch some films and just, just sit and, and enjoy them for what they are, as opposed to watching them to try and, you know, figure them out or to have discussion points. And this is a movie that honestly, you just sit back and you just kind of let it just kind of wash over you and just, <laughs> just sit back and enjoy it. Don't think about it. Just enjoy it for what it is. And, and how about the uh, Batman and Robin costumes? Oh, at the yeah, end of it? just out of the blue, you know? Wow, right? Just, yeah. you know, you know uh, everything. Thank just... you, Russ Meyer, for knowing your audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hassan? Like I said, I, I, I saw this movie, uh, I don't know, man, wow. Before I was, I think I was 
17 or 18, you know, watching it on Cinemax and, you know, the whole WTF, like the whole time, like, what am I watching? And, you know, at the time, how old were you? Do you think 17, 18? Okay. okay. Old enough. Yeah. At the time, you don't really, (laughs) you don't really understand parody. You know, you don't know if it's a parody or not. You don't, I wasn't a, I wasn't a film I enjoyed movies, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't anywhere near an aspiring aficionado of genre or whatever. I, was, I had no idea. It was I thought I took the movie as seriously as the, as the characters took the movie, you know, like this is just, is this like, this is a fucking farce, you know? And there's crazy, there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in it. There's crazy, there was crazy stuff then for, you know, for the, I guess the semi more, it, it's, it's very funny because as, repressed as everybody says that things are now or things are going now the 90s there was all that you weren't even given that kind of imagery in the 90s like most of that imagery you know the fact that there's like oh it's a movie from the 60s with a lesbian couple in it you know there's so many like just there's so many movies that were just like regular comedies and stuff from the 70s and 80s where it's just like uh 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 Stripes with Bill Murray. Like one of the opening sequences, he comes home to his apartment to his girlfriend and she just gets changed and she just takes off her shirt and puts on another shirt for no reason. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason to it other than that. Ah, we'll throw a pair of tents in there. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> what I'm saying is not, it's not necessarily what you see the visuals, of course, because there's no, there's not a lot of, uh, um, there's not a lot of shocking nudity in the movie. But it was released the, with an uh, X rating, though. Yeah, but yeah, the content uh, in yeah. and of itself is, you know, or the or the the context behind all the content was what was pretty heavy. And even then, at at that age, I knew like, wow, this is this is some heavy shit that they're playing with. I mean, this movie is batshit, but I mean, there's like there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in it. I mean, they, then 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 as or now as with then the context of everything that you see is very different because it's got, it's got, it's a trope movie. It's, you know, it's a movie that's a, that's a parody of tropes of, you know, the, the Hollywood lifestyle of, you know, coming up and trying to make it, you know, whereas, uh, you know, or the, or the, the corruption of innocence and stuff like that. And then it, it in and of itself in trying to exploit some tropes, it does uh, uh, unfortunately fall victim of tropes in the process. They, it's got the kill your gaze trope. It's got the, you know, it's it's got the. It's got the uh, a- athletes, particularly black athletes, are violent trope. Yeah, black athletes are violent. The the jocks, the the not, you know, the the trust fund babies who, you know, who, you know, is just a hustler. He's not really, you know, he's getting by on his looks. He's not really rich. He gets his head cut off, so it's all right. You know, yeah. it, it kind of <laughs> balances itself out. It's got the it's got the violent transsexual, you know. It's got the Silence of the Lambs thing. I who, mean, it's, who wasn't a, you know who wasn't supposed to be a woman? Well, they say she's supposed Z Man is supposed to be a woman in drag, according to Roger Ebert. So, uh, but but then again, I you know I, I don't think he had the language, you know. Nah, to, I mean, it's, you know, at yeah. the time. But it, yeah, absolutely. It, it's it was know, just it's a gag. Silence you know? of the Lambs, you know. It's. Yeah, I mean it's just a gag. I mean that's they took they they took Silence of the Lambs to to task for that because of Buffalo Bill, who yeah. who himself was not a transsexual, you know. But it was yeah. a, it, it got it got the blame for you know for that particular trope that's you know sort of uh, you know sort of notorious. 
So it does, it does, it violates as many things as it's trying to illuminate, you know, in, in, in its own way, because, but that's a, it's a victim of its, uh, of its era. The same, the, 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 the three of us were, were joking around mm-hmm. earlier today about, uh, about weird trivia about 2001, you know, and, and the, the, you know, basically the reason for it without getting too deep into it, the reason for the weirdness of 2001 is because it was made in the sixties, you know? And, <laughs> and so therefore it could, it could only, the imagination could only go as far as, as the technology of the sixties went. So this is the same situation. The, the, the social commentary can only go as far as the enlightenment of the era that they were in when they were trying <laughs> to make the commentary in and of itself. Yeah. I think it's also, uh, I was going to say, I think it's also very obvious that that Roger Ebert and Ross Meyer uh, never used any kind of recreational drugs other than alcohol. Uh, and I, I don't think Meyer was even a drinker. It's so obvious these guys never smoked weed, never did any kind of hallucinogens. I mean, I would believe that any member of the cast of Killing of a Chinese Bookie sold dope on a corner. <laughs> There's fucking no doubt about that. But I mean, you know, that's the same. It's because of the absurdity of the genre in and of itself, or the absurdity of the of the of the presentation of the information that you're being given in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, the fact that they are inefficient. Or, or lack proficiency in, in, in not only their own drug use, but the film is in, inefficiently, de, de, you know, depicts the results of drug use or the, the pitfalls of drug use kind of goes into the, into the charm of the insanity of the picture in and of itself. It's not, yeah. it's not a deal breaker. You know, it's like, um, it's no, it's, no, it, 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 it totally accentuates it. It's because, like watching the drug episodes of Dragnet. You know, which are right. you know hilariously funny, but then it, but then again, you couldn't you couldn't honestly say um, that uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas honestly depicts drug use. You know, it 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 is it is another exaggerated. <laughs> you know, it 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 it, it exaggerates it's an exaggerated depiction or exaggerated presentation, so that anything at that point goes, as opposed to you know some things that are a little more grounded. But you know, because of the the craziness of the of the of the performance, or the craziness of the of the the piece in and of itself, you're you allow for it. You know, you're like, all right, that that doesn't really kill my immersion. Good comparison. Well, I, I can tell you from personal experience that there is nothing more irresponsible and depraved than a man in the depths of an ether bench. You know, I, I actually likened this. <laughs> I, I actually likened this movie to. You remember that commercial for uh, uh, the uh, you guys remember the commercials for those terrible uh, uh, music collections the Time Life used to sell. Do you remember? Remember the commercial for Freedom Rock? Oh, yeah, of course. Turn it up. man. Hey, is that Freedom Rock? Turn it up, man. (laughs) This is a two hour version of that commercial. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) certainly. Well, it does everything, (laughs) everything that you wouldn't want. Everything. It's like 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 the cringe factor alone from watching those people on stage pretending to perform music live you know and you're like but that first song they play is a banger man <laughs> the, it's the a great first... song but just as you're talking about the drug use like nobody there has ever played an instrument if you're an, if you're a musician and you watch people playing you're like these people are not they don't even know they've never held a guitar first of all they're in the in the first depiction in the first in the first song no one has a bass, but that is a bass-driven <laughs> yes. 
There's right. a bass-driven piece of music, all right? So I'm watching, like, where's the fucking bass? You know, like, there's, there's a, and then later they gave the they gave the girl a bass and she was the basis for the rest of the movie. Yeah. But that first song, it was like, it's it just, it, yeah, you're right. It's, again, it's the same as the drug use, the same as everything else, but you just let it go because the movie is just bad shit. The movie <laughs> is just plain supposed to be bad shit. It and in fact, is. you're the one, you're the one destroying your own immersion by by applying too much logic to a film this fucking stupid that's you you start to feel guilty yourself while watching it's like wait a minute i'm the one ruining this because this movie doesn't give a shit what it's doing you know and i'm the only one sitting here in my in my pajamas angry about the fact that there's no bass on stage which is it's fucking (laughs) stupid if you think about that whole movie to nitpick that little point but it it there it is Now, Latham and I have a disagreement about, you know, editing on certain films. You, I think you agree that the best dummy edit shot in movie history, when he jumps from the rafters. Oh, it's, yeah. It's no, not that that edit. That edit is fine. The fact that they threw in a, a plane crashing sound effect as he fell from the, <laughs> and he, as he fell from the rafters and slammed onto the stage. Which was right around the time when I was 17, 18 years old, which is right around the time late in that movie where I realized I'm not supposed to be taking any of this seriously, am I? Really? It didn't hit you at the very end that when during the beheading scene, you get the 20th century Fox fanfare. No, by then, I was, by then I was in on the joke. But when he okay. jumped off the rafter, I was like, wait a minute. This is a joke. This whole movie is a joke. I'm not supposed to be taking this fucking film seriously. Uh, and then I was able to readjust my my uh, my understanding of it, and I was uh, you know, and I was able to enjoy it for what it was. Because when I was watching it the first time, I was, this is the most batshit stupid movie I've ever fucking seen. I've never seen anything this bad before. <laughs> and I was a very of uh, you know very self absorbed uh, uh, arrogant musician at the time. And I'm like, these fucking people don't do it. This is not even the way the music industry is. This is the dumbest movie I've ever fucking seen. And then when he fell, as soon as that scene happened and he fell, and I was like, oh, I get it. I love at the end of the movie. Now the film is brilliant. He's he's on <laughs> he's on crutches crossing the 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 creek as they're walking in the walking yeah. in the park. <laughs> no, which which I mean, the worst scene ever is they just found out the two of their friends got their heads blown off in the rooms, but the guys the guy gets feeling in his legs, and then it just, it turns into yes. a happy ending. You know. Yes. Ta-da! All right. Yes. Right. So but it's it's this is the stupidest thing you've ever the seen. The two innocent yeah. women, one of whom was pregnant. <laughs> but then we get the strange narrated coda where they bounce from character to character. Yeah. Yeah. You know, listing mm-hmm. all of the their love was not evil. Yeah. But evil not, yeah, became so of the, it. <laughs> it's in the kill your gaze trope. You know, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's just, it, it falls. If, but after then, a while, everything falls you know, victim. And, and if after that part, they had just cut it and put the credits up, and made the ending, that would have been another whole thing entirely. But then we get the, the, uh, the, the marriage the, sequence, the, the triple with... wedding scene straight out of a 60s or 70s sitcom. With the judge walking over and shutting the blinds on the guy peeping in from outside, that crazy, that crazy who was, agent who was, who was of course <laughs> quoted in the uh, in the Sublime cover of uh, Two Joints. 
That's right. That's right. <laughs> that that was, that was, I, I'm, I was so glad I, I was able to take another one off of my list that I've discovered uh, another <laughs> location of a quote from a movie. Uh, I thought for sure that it was that it was from Reefer Madness, which I've never seen all the way through. And I yeah. I was so excited to find that as soon as, the, as he started talking, I'm like, oh, holy shit, it's another one. <laughs> I love finding. So, it. I mean, OK, the, the film in and of itself, I can't judge the film because I've seen it. It's been such a part of my visual language and, and jokes among myself and my friends for the last 20 years that I am not capable of objectively judging the movie. So, I mean, I just, I'm happy it was chosen so that I could watch it again. Yeah, I think you did and I, and I, this. And I, I, I loved it, you know, but I, I have no opinion of what this movie whatsoever. I have no, I have no idea what it is. I don't know if I would recommend it. I would have to sit with someone to watch it with them so that they, they knew yeah. That I, I yeah. you know, that I wasn't being serious when I recommended yeah. this movie to them. Yeah, this is a movie that I, that I absolutely would love to show just to be to watch people with the first time. Absolutely, yeah. It's one. It's of like those. Battle Royale. Like when I first got yeah. a copy of that, I had to <laughs> everywhere I went, I was like, I gotta be with you when you watch this. <laughs> uh, Latham, go ahead. And this uh, would be a fun midnight movie with a crowd. That's oh sure. yeah, oh yeah, like absolutely. some kind of game or something like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, uh, it'd be perfect. I'm, I'm surprised. Maybe there is one, or I'd be surprised if there wasn't. I mean, there isn't, I think should, the movies, if there isn't, we should make one. I yeah. think the movie's kind of forgotten. You know, like the 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 charm of the movie or whatever. It kind of it had a slight resurgence when when Tarantino was redistributing. His his genre films like uh, Switchblade Sisters and whatever, and it was people. I heard people starting to talk like talk about it, and I think it came back on Cinemax because because of the you know a, a very momentary genre resurgence or you know resurrection of well, like weird weird trippy genre films. But Cry Criterion had been trying to get the rights to this from Fox for years, and. And Fox oh, would, and, and Fox would not give it to them by itself. It wasn't until Fox said basically they packaged it with the original film and said, if you release Valley of the Dolls as well, we'll give you Beyond the Valley. Not to be put together, but as separate releases, we'll let oh, you do Criterion. Them, we'll let yeah. you do them both for Criterion. And that's the deal that Criterion ended up making. Um, so that they both got blue, you know, released on Blu-ray. Valley I gotta get the, the Criterion version of it. Valley of the do. Dolls is the uh, is the one film that my father worked on. My father was a camera op and worked on any number of incredible movies: uh, Goldfinger, uh, Rosemary's Baby, Hello Dolly, The Hustler. Um, oh, small ones. Yeah, small films. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, the Valley of the Dolls is one of the movies that he's worked on that I've uh, taking a Pelham one two three actually is oh, my favorite of the that. films that he worked on. But Valley of the Dolls is the one film that my dad worked on that I've never been able to sit through. It's just, oh. it's fucking so, it's it's boring. It's tepid. It's boring. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and it's so, it's Only maudlin. because you've seen Beyond first. <laughs> yeah, it's maudlin and yeah, you know. I'll tell you, my, my dad actually did a TV movie with, um, uh, which I mentioned to uh, uh, your former guest, Dean Haspiel. Uh, starring his godmother. I don't know if you know that uh, Shelley Winters was Dean Hasfield's godmother. Yeah. Wow. Um, and my dad uh, did a TV movie with her, which is kind of like a TV movie version of 
hardcore with Shelly Winters in the George C. Scott role. I can't remember the name of it, but I got to dig it up. And that's <laughs> that movie's way better than Valley of the Dolls. Um, and my dad actually has a cameo when uh, uh, Shelly Winters bumps into him on the subway. And my dad gives her a dirty look. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, nice. it's a great moment. Anyway. Um, but if, if you like the um, modern folks, if you like the movie The Love Witch, uh, yeah. I, that's really obviously very heavily influenced by Russ Meyer and and yeah. specifically Valley of the Dolls. So that's kind of got, you know, that takes itself seriously. And it's, it's a fun movie, too. Yeah, it's a beautiful it, it, it really movie, is. So. But uh, Latham, go ahead. Uh, it's just, I, I think the thing that's most affecting to me is that Ebert, at the time he wrote the script, was already heavily into film criticism, right? So yeah, he's writing. He was writing for the Chicago Sun Times. Yeah. So it's just there. You can see ideas throughout that show that he kind of got it or kind of was trying to do something, but maybe it was lost in translation uh, through Russ <laughs> Meyer. I'm. I'm not. I, I don't know how much of each if they were really simpatico with this whole thing together or if Russ Meyer just said, I'm going to make, you know, I'll take your script, but I'm going to make it the way I want to make it. Well, I think they actually worked on it like together. They were like the, the decision to make Z-Man a woman in drag happened the day they shot it. Just like you were talking okay. about them sitting around, you know, planning shoots for killing of a Chinese bookie. It was uh, a lot of it was a lot of it was done on the fly, believe it or yeah. not. They were banging I out the script it. as they were going because they had such a short um, uh, uh, um, uh, schedule, you know, yeah. to, to, to get the film made. You know, they were right. on, they were on a really he wrote, he wrote it in six weeks. Yeah. Right. So they just wanted to get it done quickly. And it's too bad. It's a, it's a lesson for filmmakers that, you know, if you want to do satire, you probably need to get your script pretty tight and, you know, you can you can come up with good ideas or spontaneous ideas on the fly that that end up working. It's just, I mean, this this is just like like you guys have said. It's just all it's just bonkers. It's just all over the place. I can only imagine going to see this in a theater, even in nineteen what was it, nineteen seventy? Nineteen seventy. Seventy. I mean, that's you know, that's I, I I think I think I would probably. I don't, and I don't even, I don't dislike it. I, I see it, 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 there's fun in this movie when you're watching it, but back then seeing it, like taking a date to this movie or something, I mean, <laughs> wow, dude. I mean, you got, come out of there and you're just, you've got 50 different things to talk about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, just, just imagine the, imagine the, the older couples who had seen the original Valley of the Dolls and oh, thinking yeah. this was, and thinking this actually was a sequel, even though they get the disclaimer at the beginning. And then they're like, Oh wait, what? Yeah. By then, then it's a little too late. Right, and then, you've paid oh, your money yeah. to sit down and see 15 it. 15 seconds later, there's a gun in a woman's mouth, you know? And you're like, Oh, uh, I love wait. that Patty Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the other thing that I, I, that moment where he puts the gun in her mouth is still really fucking shocking, and it's I think that that sure. might be the one really problematic moment in the film. You know, I mean, there's a lot of problematic stuff for because it has the mores of the 1960s, but that specific moment is is pretty. 
it's a little bit of misogyny yeah, that you really crosses, don't need. It crosses a line in a lot of ways. For it, in, in for the film itself, whatever they're trying to accomplish, it's arguable they might have overdone it. You know, they you know in in their attempt to be shocking. Sorry, Latham. No, uh, I agree. That yeah, all you, all the things you guys have said are pretty much my my point of view too. I mean, I don't I don't love it, but I have a weird I have a weird point of view on it because I knew about it and studied part of it, but then never watched it. And now I remember those things that we talked about in film class about it. And now I understand why it was chosen. You know, I think it was like the cult classic was the reason it was, it was chosen. And ah. uh, it's, you know, definitely, definitely uh, serves that purpose, you know, as a place in having a place in cinema history. I mean, it's just, I mean, what else came out in 1970? You got Patton, and you know, just yeah. It was Midnight Cowboy '69? '69. Even okay. even that same period, though, hard, hard, real life dramas, and and then this you know, this Never Neverland kind of just just <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna make fun of everything and just go way way over the top. And I you know I got to give it credit for that. Um, as far as uh, Ebert's script. Uh, <laughs> I'd say it was, I'd say it was jaw dropping. Oh, oh man! Oh, come, come on, man. Come on. God, why did he? Why did he have to say that? We were with you until. until hey, that's just... in the spirit of this movie, though. That joke is in the exact spirit of this that's, movie. That's fair. That's and absolutely probably fair. lesser than some of the stuff in this movie. That that's a fair assessment. Yeah, we're gonna talk about a movie with shock value. We're gonna have a shocking moment on this podcast. (laughs) Well, the thing that's so messed up is that you know Z Man was based on Phil Spector, (laughs) and then Phil Spector ended up pretty much doing what Z Man did. Yeah, pretty much. Scary. That's nuts. That is absolutely nuts. (laughs) It's Um, like people fucking knew Phil Spector was out of his goddamn mind in 1970. (laughs) All the way back. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and then like to exist. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, the Ramones flat out said he held them at gunpoint, you know, Jeez. when they were recording uh, that album. I mean, I I'm glad I I saw it. it it's been another one uh, checked out of my book. So um, I'd always wanted to see it, especially after missing it in film class. So, right. you know, I, I would I would probably recommend other people see it just for the the bonkers stuff you've got on screen and the, and the, the fact that it was made and how it was made. I think the whole story of it, the story of it is as interesting as the movie itself. So, and the thing is, is we've all seen other bonkers movies, but the fact of the matter is is this is as bonkers as this may come across. It's really put together pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's put together very professionally. There's not a lot of, I mean, you can call the acting what it is, but I like, as far as like the production value and everything of the film of the time, it's, 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 it's very, it's a very much a professional film. That's what makes it. That's part of its strangeness is the imbalance of that is how bonkers it is. And yet it's, you know, it looks and feels like, it's like, are they doing this on purpose? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, that's part that adds to it, but uh, I think that's why it does work is because that it's unabashedly 
you know, played straight. You know, it's uh, I think that's the brilliance of it. And I think Meyer was absolutely right. If they if they tried to play it as a comedy, you know, if the, if they, the performance were turned in as comic performances, it doesn't work as the satire it is. Right. Yeah. It would just it would just feel bad. Right. That's yeah. a good point. It would just be an unfunny comedy. Yeah, right there. Exactly. Apparently, so this this the, Ebert had said that uh, in one of the commentaries on one of the earlier DVD releases of this had said that uh, they found out the movie was going to be rated X and Russ immediately wanted to go back into the editing room uh, once he had received an X rating and add back in a bunch of the nudity and sex scenes that he had cut out of it because he's like, well, we've got the X, fuck it. Uh, I'm just going to put all this shit back in. But the studio was dead set on getting it out. And so they said, no, it's being released next week. And they started running prints of the, of the, of the version essentially we see today, but otherwise it it could have been much more, uh, much more blue. (laughs) Uh, Something else I, you know, in speaking of the Jacqueline Suzanne thing, uh, she had actually submitted a screenplay, but uh, that was the screenplay that they threw out when they hired Russ Meyer and Roger Ebert. And then they started rewriting their own version based on the three women, you know, the idea of the three women from the first one. But by the time, like, you know, like Patrick had said, once she found out what had happened, cause she got, saw the script, she was like, no, I, this, this cannot be connected to my film. <laughs> and, and basically as part of the settlement, this is where that disclaimer at the beginning of the film comes from. That was part of the, uh, the settlement agreement. And it was made for under a hundred thousand and made close to 9 million. Yeah. yeah it's it was initial run, you know, so. Yep. And uh, he said, according to, according to Ebert, that Z-Man's secret was not thought of until late in filming and tacked on at the last minute. And it says, whilst fans feel that the film's dialogue hints at the secret, Roger said it's absolutely coincidental. They did not plan that in any way when they were doing that. That's classic confirmation bias that you could throw that you could throw that in there and find things that relate to it easily, especially in uh, this. Uh, and supposedly the actor, I, I I couldn't find it, but I had heard years ago that the actor that played Z-Man regretted making the film and blamed it for destroying his career because evidently he was a <laughs> rather talented British stage actor. Oh. <laughs> it didn't work oh, after man. Bad choice. And he said that the good. and he said that the 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 violent gory climax was not in the original script and that that Ebert and Meyer came up with that idea on the day they started shooting the ending of the film. Huh. Well, I mean there really? you go. Yep. And they, you know, because you know that by then they had more information. The, the murders, right? The tape yes. murder. That's exactly uh, right. right. Yeah. Yep. And when they first uh little 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 bit of synchronicity there, when she shows up at the party, uh that first Z-Man party, when the when they show up, the niece with her aunt, the niece is wearing a beige pantsuit that she borrowed from her aunt to go to the party in. And that is the same outfit that Sharon Tate wore oh in my God, the really? original Valley of the Dolls. Oh, wow. A lot of Suck weird. Suck on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, chew on that. 60s Hollywood was fucking so weird and sleazy. And it's also, right? it's, a, it's like, it's just crazy shit. <laughs> but, hey, uh, you, yeah. Patrick, you like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? You know what? I haven't seen it. And because I, I got, I, I, 
you know, I'm Tarantino is great for recreating errors. Um, and I, I've heard it's it, good, right? but what was that? I said, and that's about it, right? Yeah, I just he kind of, you know, his, you know, like his best line of dialogue is directly lifted from Charlie Varick, you know, uh, <laughs> um, the line about uh, uh, blowtorch and a pair of pliers. You know, uh, that's that's, you know, said uh, by the actor who played Dean Wormer in Animal House <laughs> and Charlie yeah, Barrett, right. you know, and it's and like City on Fire. I mean, it's shot for shot. Uh, 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 Reservoir Dogs is shot for shot, you know, uh, a remake of City on Fire. And he's notorious for doing stuff like that. But I've heard it's a really beautiful movie and that Great you know, to look at. Yeah, it's really incredible to look at. And certainly the cast is amazing. I mean, uh, um, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, my biggest problem is that I, I think my biggest problem with it really is the Bruce Lee scene, you know, because uh, I have such respect for Bruce. And also, I know people who are friends with uh, Judo Jean LaBelle, uh, who that actual incident is based on. And that's not how it went down. Him and Bruce were friends. They were messing around, you know, and, and Judo Jean put him up in the air and was spinning him around and. And, uh, and, you know, Bruce was like, put me down, Gene, put me down. And, and Gene LaBelle was saying, if I do that, you're going to kill me, Bruce. I can't, you know, and, and <laughs> that's not how it's played in the film. And it's, right. you know, it's like, well, there's all kinds of altered history in the film, especially. Yeah. Well, the end. Most especially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without giving. It's, it's, stuff it's, away. I, think, I think it's definitely worth your time to check yeah. it out, Patrick. It's, it's, oh, well. Uh, you, well, you're you're not a, a big fan of Tarantino, so nope, not since '97. So I, my biggest issue, See, with- like it's the same, it's the same with the, it's the same with the Night of the Living Dead argument. Like I would, I wouldn't say that Tarantino's best attribute is you know a mimicry of uh, of genre and stolen dialogue, which is not exactly what you said, but it's you know it's basically the gist of what you said. But I get that that for you that that is that is what stands out you know for you about it but it's 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 certainly not how i feel about it although i do i do see that i mean i I think he celebrates his theft though unlike a lot of other people there's a there's a tremendous amount of theft in his work in it yeah but he yeah he revels in it you know that i you know i took this or i lifted this or you know this is a this is an attempt to resurrect that you know and a lot of his stuff doesn't land. A lot of a lot of his choices are, well, yeah, at least like, a, I, a little over my head. At least I'll say. But the, the, I think the problem is is that he's also he's also so in love with his own dialogue. I mean, did we really need five minutes of um, Samuel L. Jackson describing getting a blowjob to Bruce Dern? In, Thank you. In, well, yeah, I understand that, but that's the same as watching Ben Gazzara walk across a room for twenty minutes. You know, it's every, <laughs> everybody's. Know. You know, I don't know. You know, it's everybody's. Every one man's gold is another man's garbage. Yeah. You know, so it's it is it is what it is. You know, yeah. but I you know I respect where you're coming from with it. I think his tension. If I think if you're watching Glorious Bastards, which I think is my probably my favorite Tarantino movie. I still think Reservoir Dogs is my fave. I and I love I really loved Death Proof until I heard the story about um you know him making Death Proof after nearly killing Uma Thurman on the set of Kill Bill uh in a car scene. That kind of like that that's right. the thing. I think that's the thing where I really started being like I really don't like this guy. 
You know, well, that's, that's I mean, the that man himself, said, right? But you separate pole, you separate the man from the from the art, right? Because there's I, a you know, I, you know what? It, uh, somebody who's currently working, I have difficulty with it. I'm a fan okay. of H.P. Lovecraft's work, but I know that Lovecraft was a piece of crap. You know, even if he did, uh, you know, d- you know, d- on his deathbed, practically be like, "Yo, I was a piece of shit." There's still positive things about his work that that I can enjoy, even though he was a really, you know himself was a, a a terrible human being but in like the modern era when i hear about shit like that it's like no you should fucking know better and i, I also just heard shit about the way he was you know vivica fox talks about the way he treated them when they were um training for kill bill and came in and was like giving them shit for not working out hard enough you know that kind of stuff i i just you know and and i've been that guy as a boss you know, uh, in the restaurant business. And, and, and I've been that guy as a director and as a producer, you know, losing your temper and, and be, and just being an asshole. But when it's, when it's not followed up by, I'm sorry, I fucked up. I lost my temper. I apologize. You guys are really valuable. And I realize you're working really hard. You know, there's no place for that. There's no place for that in the restaurant business. There's no place for it in theater. You know, it's just he'll do in, that in at movies. the end of his career. He'll he'll apologize for everything before he dies. That's what he'll do. Yeah, you know, and, and that's worthless. You know, and that that kind of yeah, I kind of you know, I got, you know, I got I, I got problems with that because I know so many people who have had trouble finding work and getting projects done uh, after doing stuff that wasn't even remotely close <laughs> to nearly fucking killing Uma Thurman. You yeah, know, right. you know, there's a right. there's a sliding scale of of what you can get away with based on, you know, your success and who your friends are, and, and there's still the fact that you know all of his early films are produced by Miramax. That's eesh. yeah, I know. I mean, that's all ancillary, though. That's all. Yeah. That's you know, I respect that. You know, I mean, I've I have the same feelings about you know various different creators. I mean, Jesus, stories. Peck and Paul is one of my. Is is it is is it our obligation to separate the art from the from the from the artists? Definitely no, I, not I obligation. Don't, I don't necessarily think it is, but I also think it's it's different when you're talking about someone like Hitchcock, who well, someone you respect more. Well, than, well, it, who 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 has a who has a greater um, uh, contribution to the canon? Matter. I mean, of you know, I, I I I you know, I mean, I don't think that's I don't think it's yeah, here's a good one, John Wayne. Uh, yeah, I love the Searchers. I love Rooster Cogburn, uh, but I feel about John Wayne the same way Chuck D did. You know, <laughs> simple racist so, and plain. So do I. I. Hate that, <laughs> you know, hate that motherfucker and John Wayne. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, like I like Elvis movies, you know, but Elvis himself was, you know, an, uh, you know, was a really not a good human being. You know, so I, I mean, it, it, it's tough. I think I, I also think it's, you know, like when these people get, and, and I don't want to, I'm not going to compare Tarantino to um, uh, like Polanski, you know? Um, well, yeah, let's, you know, let's I not. Mean, there's, <laughs> like there's people like, you know, Polanski is like a guy who in the modern era is still being lauded praise upon by people like by Catherine Deneuve, you know? And, and, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, still operating. People are turning the other eye, you know, t- you know, looking the other way, you know, in the modern era, 
and and that's just you know that's not cool you know i mean it's fu- it's fucked up that victor salva they're making another fucking jeepers creepers movie and victor salva still owns the ip to that yeah yeah you know uh, that's like that's the, a very unknown story about him though if you yeah. talk to a lot of people a lot of people don't know that story that's very true about him yeah you know and and you know it's uh and we, we you know we see this you know happening i mean geez how long did it take for them to get rid of ed kramer from the uh the, the uh from you know the payroll of dragon con i don't know if you guys are familiar with that ed no, kramer was one of the founder, ed kramer was one of the founders of dragon con which is a huge uh science fiction fantasy convention uh every year in atlanta a lot of people in the industry came to his defense when accusations were being made. And he, you know, he, uh, certain people in the industry pretty much put an end to Nancy Collins career as a, as a horror author and a, uh, a comic book writer. And then found out, we find out years later that Nancy was telling the truth telling that the Ed truth. was, you know, molesting kids and was attempting to groom her stepson and her nephew. Jeez. Um, you know, and th- and that's and that's what happens is because you know it's still no, but then they'll call it cancel and- culture, and then they'll they'll fight you about that. Like that's yeah. not a you know, it's like mm, you know, it's accountability. Uh, what I is. mean, I joke around. I mean, I wear a rainbow, you know, SJW button, you know, and I joke around <laughs> about being a you know social social justice warrior, you know. But I you know I've seen it on the other side. There's you know there's people on the on the performative left, um, you know that that you know, have, have gone after friends of mine in the industry for, for stuff, you know, in comic book industry and the film industry for stuff that they've done. And it's like, you're taking a specific instance out of this person's career or a specific moment out of a, 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 a piece of property that they've worked on. And you're not looking at the person's entire career. And you're not even looking at that entire work. You're looking at a couple of panels from one issue of a comic book. And, you know, well, that's hence what I said. Are you, do you, yeah. is it, do you separate the artist from the art? Well, I, I think know? there's also a difference between, for instance, if you're an artist and you depict an awful act, but you don't, you're not promoting that act, you're depicting that act. It's different from being an artist who, you know, uh, hurt someone but, in making that scene. Or yeah, hurt someone in making is. the depiction of that act or does you know uh, you know d- does any kind it doesn't matter the person doesn't have to be a guy making movies like tarantino you know you could be making light rom-coms and still being a fucking asshole you know i mean there's god knows there's tons of you know tons of stories about uh you know television producers who are just you know notorious you know showrunners who are just notoriously awful people on shows that well, are scott rudin's yeah exactly the whole thing about scott rudin yeah, you know. Yeah, but do, I mean, does do do you stop watching? Does that take the value of the show that you're watched away? I, I understand. Know? Right. It, it's like, do I do I dislike watching Usual Suspects now? Yeah, it's like, uh, do I watch Seven again? You know, and I think because it's a collaborative effort, you can't. Th- there's a difference between watching. Uh, like, I know I can watch Rosemary's Baby, and I know Roman Polanski is not getting a dime from me watching Roman watching Rosemary's Baby. I know I can watch <laughs> Chinatown, and he's not getting a fucking cent for it. Um, his recent films, you know, well, first off, I don't want to watch any of his recent movies, but it's like I'm, I'm not going to contribute to I'm not I'm not going to knowingly contribute to that if I can avoid it. You know, it's also like, you know, uh, uh I mean, I still enjoy the music of Michael Jackson, 
You know, um, I, I still enjoy the music of Led Zeppelin. And fucking honestly, man, if I walked into, if, if I was in the same room with Jimmy Page, the guy might catch hands. Wow. You know, he's an awful fucking human being. It's interesting. All right. Yep. Very you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, when, when you know, uh, Maybe uh, I, I mean, you know, aren't that great. Maybe that's, well, it more- comes, I, I, you know, the whole point of it was, I think it comes down to whoever you are and whatever you want out of whatever you're watching. You know, if it does something to you, you're, you're more prone or it does something for you, excuse me. You're more prone to f- be forgiving of whatever monstrous despicableness that the, you know, is, is Might be uh, connected to it. Yeah. If you, if it doesn't do anything for you, if you don't like it, then all that stuff is accentuated. You There's know, too much art now. That's the problem. There's too much art. How are you supposed to track everything? And every person that's involved in any piece of art that's made, you know, how, how, well, how I would say you don't, you know, yeah, don't, yeah, well, no, no, you don't. But if it, but if it comes to your attention, um, you know, I think that, you know, as, as anybody who's intelligent, uh, you know, and wants to try and be an ethical and a moral person, you, you know, it's, it, it's your job to not, uh, well, not your job, you know, but it, it, you know, it's, it's your, um, you know, it's your social responsibility to, uh, to recognize that not this stick, person did a, did a sand. shitty, did a shitty thing. I, I agree with that. You know? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's it's like uh, who was I who, who was I thinking of that I, I um I just found out something terrible about um it's <laughs> so so many so many people it's happened so often you it forgot you're still yeah. buying Chris Brown's music I mean what are we talking about here Yeah who's, no I, who's absolutely. Chris Brown what are you doing. Chris Brown's the guy that beat the shit out of Rihanna. No, I, I was a joke. And who's another Rihanna? woman, <laughs> and another woman a couple days ago. But we're still gonna oh. buy his music. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly not buying his music. No, I never. Fuck that yeah. noise. I wouldn't pull him from a burning car. Yeah, yeah, okay. but I mean, I mean, do you like Chris Brown's music? No. Well, did you uh, Did you like it before? No. Okay. That 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 might have helped you. Come no, to no, loggerheads. I'm saying the people that did like it, that well, could yeah. Be, well, well, he's certainly a super. Like t- he's certainly a super talented guy. There's no doubt about it. So was fucking Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, the, pe- the people who like the music are, are no doubt probably if they want to continue to like the music are making those kind of compromises. Right. I mean, where is the like line? Where is the line drawn? I mean, if he murders someone, are we still going to make excuses? Yeah. That's that's fair, but you're not murdering anybody by listening to his music. You're you're not morally obligated. The music is not morally connected to the to the person who made it. It's just music. Uh, okay. Well, the thing with Chris Brown is it's an example of someone who has been unrepentant. Right, admire. And and no, he's been, glor- he's been gloriously unrepentant. I don't know. Um, I get it. But I mean, yeah, certainly. I mean, you look at, you know, I mean, James Brown. <laughs> I mean, James Brown took the cops on a three state car chase, <laughs> smoking dust, yep. you know, after beating the shit out of his wife. Jeez. You know, I mean, James Brown fucking James Brown lobbied for Ronald Reagan. Wow. That's, but but that's the contribution. You know, but the contribution—that's just a political. That's just a political platform. That's not necessarily evil. I mean, for some people, it's Ronald, it is. it's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, but Ronald Reagan. But, 
you know, that's not that's um, not quite voting voting or platforming for Ronald Reagan isn't quite on the same no, level no. as beating the hell out of your girlfriend. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no but I let's mean, make this, sure. You know, let's make sure I, we're I not would, saying. I that. would say though, I would definitely, you know, I would. I would feel more comfortable hanging out with somebody if they told me that they took the cops on a tri-state uh, <laughs> chase after smoking a shitload of dust than if they told me they voted for Reagan. I just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just That's fair enough. Fair enough. But, no, no, but I, I, I mean, I do understand. The feelings I, I expressed on this podcast are not the feelings <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Have fun editing this fucking monster. <laughs> well, listen, I'll tell you. You know, I mean, over the over the last fifteen months, I've become progressively more radicalized. Um, yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, it you know, it, 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 it's it's tough. You know, it's like I still want to listen to Flight of the Valkyries. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I still want to listen to Zeppelin Four, in yeah. spite of in spite of what um, what the uh, Wagner, in spite of whatever. Yeah, exactly. Wagner. You know, um, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Hitler's favorite composer, Hitler's favorite composer, Wagner. Were you just whistling Wagner? Not, not Wagner's fault. <laughs> who his fans are? You yeah, know? that's right. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, not... Wagner. You know, definitely. You know, there's a reason. Maybe why so. Hitler, there's a reason why Hitler was a fan. There's um, only but so much you should look into your. You never like you know they like as as they say never meet your heroes. Don't meet your heroes. You know, yeah. never look too yeah. deeply into into the the you know. I mean, like it's just it's just what it does for you and what kind of person that their art makes you into. It really and, has and nothing to do with who they it, are. It's also how it's also how the person, um, like I I don't think Paul Verhoeven actually believes in the types of governments that he portrays yeah. in his films no not according to <laughs> his know? uh not according to his movie commentaries where he yeah you know i certainly don't horrendous. i certainly don't think that he thinks that you know the fascist regimes are yeah, yeah are, are, are funny. good um you know uh fascist how, light regime you know however <laughs> you know i i'm not going to be i'm not going to you know separate ben shapiro <laughs> from the shitty novel that he wrote. Oh, well. Which, by mm. the way, if you guys want to hear some funny stuff, there's a podcast called uh, Behind the Bastards, hosted by Robert Evans. It was a really, <laughs> really great. Not that Robert Evans, not yeah. the producer. I was going to say, he's um, dead, I think. Yeah, <laughs> although, although I, be- I, I can guarantee you they've, they've both probably done uh, similar amounts of cocaine. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will take this this very short pause in our conversation to uh, end this segment on Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, where we yeah. we quite pos- we quite possibly have gotten off on the the deepest, maybe. most distant tangent ever. On yeah, this maybe. Show. that tangent was longer than Rainbow Road on Super Mario Kart. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But someone does. Someone out there will. Latham. <laughs> Come on. Is that my long? <laughs> goddamn long course on that thing. The valley of the <laughs> wow. I, I, I literally just found this story for that came out uh, May 29th. I did not see this before, but apparently uh, Norman Reedus and AMC are teaming up for a faster pussycat kill kill TV oh series. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Why not? Mind the past for shit. Now is he producing? Uh I I Or don't... is he want or is he like one of the guys that they take prisoner or <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I got. I. I. I don't know. <laughs> You'll know soon. Yeah, <laughs> or it not. Just, it just says with his time on <laughs> walking, with his time on the Walking Dead coming to an end. When the see when the show finishes up next season, it appears that Norman Reedus and the studio want to continue their working relationship and have opted for a remake of Russ Meyer's cult classic, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. He's gonna go from fat. He's gonna go from Walking Dead to Faster Pussycat. Wow! Yeah, from walk from Woo. walking walking to faster. He's set for life <laughs> with uh, Walking Dead. That's true. I mean, he doesn't have to worry, oh, yes. but I mean, yes. still. Well, between that and his, you know, his own. Uh, you know, driving around with Jeffrey Dean Morgan on motorcycle series. You know, I mean, yeah. Can... Yeah. I mean, he's hey, he's still got a he's still got a uh, you know he's still got a, a, a alimony check to Helena Christensen. He's got to write every month. So, <laughs> oh really? Wow. Yeah, I wish I had that bill. Yeah. Wow. Um, meaning I, I, meaning I, I, you I, wish I, you had I, been married to Norman Reedus? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I wish he was paying uh, me would, on a regular yeah, basis. I would have taken man, getting married to Norman Reedus to get what she's getting in alimony. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, um, and I, I think you might agree with me, Steve, that I think the best thing Norman Reedus has ever done is uh, cigarette burns. Uh, that is uh, one of my all-time favorite hours of television ever produced. Absolutely incredible. Yep. So fucking good. So good. And I and I mean, is there a better creepy German than Udo Kier? No. I mean, Jürgen Prock now is great, but Udo Kier is no, just... Udo, Udo Kier has a slime factor that is oh. unequaled. <laughs> yeah. Is that the guy from Human Centipede? Um, nobody looks like the guy from Human Centipede. No, that's Dieter Laser. Oh, yeah, right. Um, Udo Kier is from, from uh, Barbed oh, Wire. A lot, and, of the, uh, and a lot of the Warhol movies. Blade, yeah. the first Blade movie. And, right, uh, he's, right. Yeah, he's done a bunch of things. Yeah, he's he got very, the, very striking. He's Dragon realized. Eddie. Yeah. yeah. You definitely know yeah, him. The guy who played Hitler, is he in that one Hitler movie? No, never mind. Uh, he's oh um, he's in the Nazis on the moon He's in the Nazis on the moon movie. What's the movie? Oh, Iron Sky? Iron Sky. Who's the actor who plays Hitler in that movie where they're in the bunker, the whole movie, or wherever the fuck? Um, isn't that uh, Alec Guinness? No, it's, it's a newer movie. Uh, oh, the, um, that movie, like The Projectionist or whatever it is. The, the guy fall, is it the fall? Not the fall. Um, maybe. Uh, I can't think of what it is. Downfall. 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 And the actor who plays Hitler is. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bruno Gans. That's ah, yeah, go. yeah. And I can understand why you'd confuse Bruno Gans. They have very similar careers. Okay. <clears throat> oh wow, Bruno Gans has been in a lot of shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, he's in Wings and Desire. That's where I know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. How many? How many acting credits does Bruno Gans have? Uh, well, uh, uh are you looking uh, at Wikipedia? Hundreds. Or over a hundred, from like 1960 to, well, currently he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking at Udo Kier, and I mean Udo Kier starts in '66, and he's got 270. Had they ever been in the same room together? Maybe, maybe not. I would have to imagine they have been. Well, till we have proof, I think it's the same dude. It. <laughs> They they had a they had a weekly card game with Klaus Kinski. <laughs> wow, yeah, right. Every once I think uh, I've Aguirre uh, Grass of God is uh, on one of the streaming services. So oh, I've always wanted to see that movie. 
when it, whenever I'm um like on Facebook or something, I, I the the clip of Klaus yelling at the monkey. <laughs> I gotta see that movie. I want to see it for a while. It's man, it's something else. I'll tell you. And and it's so funny because the like you know Klaus is you know everybody's seen that scene where he's yelling at the monkey and he tosses the monkey and the monkey lands on the raft and just like gives him a look like what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> he's like he's more like just he's not like angry or hurt. He's just more like what what was that about, man? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Interesting. Uh, Bruto Bruto Gans is in German. Oh. He's, he's Swiss. Ah, you know, yeah, same a, thing. Yeah, pretty much. Fucking, <laughs> fucking Swiss. Part of part of the, the Swiss aren't German, but yeah. their money certainly is. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> a lot of gold bars being passed around. If you know what I'm saying. Oh boy. Yeah, this is gonna be a fun one to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all thanks to what Patrick brought to the yeah, that's, that's that's what I right. bring to the table. That's right. And when he comes on for a second appearance and brings Night of the Living Dead, I'm gonna stuff it back down his damn throat. Now, if we, you know what? Honestly, we're gonna do a um, gonna do a zombie movie. It's got to be Return of the Living Dead because that is just the so much fun. one. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's that's so much movie. fun. That movie I like. Clue Clue Gulliger is just there's a story about Clue Gulliger. He showed up on the set because he got hired late. They were already filming when he when he showed up at set. They were like second or third day in. And um and the director pulls him aside and gives him his costuming, you know, and it's that uh that that gray um uh, members only jacket, the pink um polo shirt and the slacks, and uh <laughs> Director gives Clue his costuming, and he's like, "All right, let me tell you a little bit about the character." Clue takes one look at the clothes and turns to him, and goes, "I've known this guy my whole fucking life." <laughs> his uh, his uh, his son directed the uh, the Feast movies, yeah, which, which are a fucking delight. Yeah, and and he's a very funny guy on Facebook too. Uh, oh, is he really? Uh, yeah, John. Oh. John's a very funny guy on Facebook. Nice. Um, nice. And Clue's still going strong. He's in his nineties. Yeah. Man, you know yeah, he was a, he was a big TV staple in the when I was growing up. He was on everything. Yeah, and what was his his series? Was it the Virginian? Was his was that his show? Oh, I don't know. He had a long running uh, Western show that he was he was the star of. I could very well have been. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's, look uh, what yeah, I just found. <laughs> no, it's just uh, yeah, just going through, scrolling back <laughs> the into terribleness. The, I just looked at. into the old days. Yeah, he did 104 episodes of the Virginian. Damn. Oh. Hmm. Well, he did 70 before that. He did 75 episodes of a show called the the Tall Man. He played Billy the Kid. There was a Billy the Kid TV series. I did not know that. It all ends the same. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody dies. Uh, anywho, uh, Patrick, uh, thanks so much for stopping by, man. Thank you for having me, man. This is an absolute blast. It really, um, really uh, was. I'm glad you had a good time. It was uh, a, a fun, rousing evening of conversation, to say the least. So, and and I apologize for uh, for torturing Latham and, and Hassan with 
extended oh, cuts of Casamani's <laughs> films. I have a book, Patrick. I have a book of like 470 movies to watch, and now it's at 468. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> so, thank you for you know, we don't have to love these movies, we just like seeing them and talking about them. Fair enough, Fair definitely. Enough. Um, I actually didn't hate the movie by any stretch of the neither, imagination, neither did I. I didn't hate him either. I just so uh, so thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all of our previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts, or you can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Assange Godwin, for Assange Godwin, Latham Conquer the Third, Patrick Kennedy, and myself, President right Kennedy, it's right there in a fucking corner by his picture. Like I couldn't just fucking glance over and see it. Listen, uh, Latham Godwin, Assange Conquer, whoever the fuck else. My, my, whoever I am, my, whoever the hell I am. My entire childhood, my name was Larry Joe Pat. Um, and then, and then in my adulthood, at one point, my mother called me Snowball. Now, this would not have upset me if Snowball was the cat that was alive at the time. If she had called me Merlin, I would have let it slide. But Snowball had been dead for a decade at this point. (laughs) So this, you know, the youngest of three Irish brothers. This is what you get. Rasan God, Latham Conquer the Third, Patrick Kennedy, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and tour guide for a descent into the madness of 60s LA, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And